If you'd like to follow with me, this morning's uh, scripture reading will be from Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 37. Uh, the context of these verses is Jesus is teaching, and the religious leaders are attempting to entrap him by asking him questions. And I'll start in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment to, in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. It's good to be with you today, and I'm so glad that we can be together to worship. Sometimes it is uh, difficult to do what is right, especially when the definition of right changes. It's funny, I was listening just the other day from a lesson, uh, actually from one of the Southwest lectureships about, oh, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, 2008, I think it may have been, and the lesson had to do with morality. And as I was listening to the lesson, I kind of caught myself thinking, well, that's it? Because the speaker was going on talking about, you know, the, the big questions of the day, and I thought to myself, wow, look how much has changed and how much further we've gone, and I don't mean that in a good way, in just 10 or 12 years. And that's what happens in society. As time goes on, issues arise and society says, here's what we should do about it. And then within a time span of 8 or 10 or 12 years, more things arise and society says, well, here's what we should do about that. And before you know it, you go back and you look and you wonder, you wonder, how did it all begin and how, how did we get to this point as a people, as a nation, a society, whatever the case may be? There are always questions that people are asking as it pertains to what's right and wrong. Is it right or wrong to abort a baby? Is it right or wrong to force a person to receive a vaccination? Is it right or wrong to take welfare whenever I'm physically capable of working to earn a living? What about socialism? Is that right or wrong? What about civil disobedience? Is that right or wrong? What about telling the truth? Is it right or wrong to tell the truth? And for that matter, what's truth anyway? Some of those questions, 50 or 60 or even 100 or more years ago, people would be thinking, well, duh, we know the answer to that question. Why do we even need to think about it? But as I said a moment ago, how far we go in just a short amount of time, and again, I don't mean that necessarily in a positive way. We face questions about ethics and morality, questions about what's right and what's wrong, and because people are people, their answer to those questions tend to change throughout the decades. But what the Bible teaches us, what the Bible teaches us is that when man tries to define right and wrong, he gets in his way and he falls down every time. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 10 verse 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself, it's not in man who walks to direct his own steps. 
And you remember Judges 17, 6. In those days there was no king in Israel, and so everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. But Solomon said in Proverbs 14, 12, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You see, the sad truth of the matter is that it will never be possible to make a decision about what's right and what's wrong if the goalposts are constantly being moved. And if it's left up to the mind of man to determine right and wrong, those goalposts will never stop moving. And so man has to have an objective standard. We have to have some way of determining truth from error and what's moral and immoral and right and wrong and ethical and unethical. And the only one who can provide that standard and who has provided it for us, of course, is God. And we find that standard revealed to us in the pages of Scripture, in the Word of God. And there are some pillars that come to mind, like absolute truth and the character of God. And again, the Word of God. And all of those things come into the picture whenever we're talking about making determinations about what's right and wrong. But today what I'd like for us to do is work from the general to the specific, as it were, And I want us to notice that as we turn our attention to the pages of God's word where we find the absolute truth about what is right and wrong, that the Bible actually lays out for us a foundation, a a foundation upon which all of our decisions are to be made. And believe it or not, the foundation actually is love. Love is the great Christian ethic, and it is the foundation for living. And I think, as we'll see this morning, as it pertains to every area of our life and how we live and the decisions we make and how we treat people and so on, it all, uh, all of those things will be answered by how we love. So let's start, first of all, by defining our terms. Let's talk about three terms that are important. First, the term morals or morality. What do we mean when we talk about morals or morality? Essentially, morals refers to a system of determining what's right and wrong based on some standard. Whereas ethics, as it were, or ethics, uh, rather, is the study of morality. One person illustrated the difference this way. That morality is like the container of right and wrong, and ethics is the study of how to use that container or how to find it. It is literally, ethics that is, a set of principles for right conduct. When we talk about ethical standards, we're talking about standards by which we determine how we should live and how we should behave and how we should make our choices. So should we follow the speed limit or should we break it? Should we uh, help a person who needs help or should we not? Should we slander and talk bad about a person for our own good? Uh, Should we tell the truth? All of these decisions and these choices that we make on a regular basis throughout our lives, these things fall under the category of ethics. Now we're talking about love being the great Christian ethic. And so essentially what we're talking about is how we behave ourselves on a daily basis and how that will be based upon how we love. So then let's define love. You know that the Bible defines love primarily as action. 1 John 3 verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but let us love in deed and in truth. Love serves, according to Galatians 5 and verse number 16. Love labors. In fact, love produces labor, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 3. 
So when the Bible talks about love, when it uses this word agape, as we well know, of course, it's talking about the kind of love that seeks the best interest of another person, the kind of love that always seeks the best, and the kind of love that is seen not just in word and not just in feeling or thought, but is primarily seen in action. And as it pertains to ethics, we're looking at love in three different areas. Our love for God, our love for man, and our love for self. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 40. We'll look at it closer in just a few moments, but you'll notice that Jesus outlines those three areas. When the lawyer came to Jesus and asked him, which is the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, the second is likened to it which means the second is on equal plane, it's on equal footing. And that is love your neighbor, how do you love your neighbor? As yourself. So that implies that there's love for self. So there are three. Our love for God, our love for man, and our love for self. And Jesus will go on to say, on these hang all the law and the prophets. Paul will say in Romans chapter 13 that all of the law is fulfilled or rather summed up in these words, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. We'll look closer at those two passages in just a few moments. But there are terms as they're defined. When we talk about morals, we're talking generally about a system that determines what's right or wrong. There's some standard that's going to let me know the rightness or the wrongness, if you will, of this action. But when we talk about ethics, we're being a little bit more specific. Now we're talking about decisions that we make in our daily lives. We're talking about the actual rubber meeting the road. I am faced with a decision. Now what am I going to do about it? That's ethics. One is the container. The other one is using the container. And love is action. Now, one thing that we need to understand first and foremost about love is that God, of course, is the standard of love. Would you look with me at some familiar passages in the book of 1 John chapter 4 for just a moment? In 1 John 4 and verse number 8, the, uh, the apostle John says, Beloved, let us love one another. That's verse 7. For love is of God, which means it comes from him. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then in verse number 16 of the same chapter, 1 John chapter 4, John tells us, and we have known and be, uh, believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. So the Bible wants us to understand that when we're talking about God, God, his very essence, his very nature, his very character is love. And remember that love is defined not just by a thought or a feeling, but it is also defined by action. So it shouldn't surprise us then, when the Bible tells us that God's essence is love, that the Bible would also tell us that God has displayed or manifested that love in action. You remember John 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. That's action. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 4, the love of God and our Savior appeared. Ephesians 2 and verse number 4, because of his great love with which he loved us. He talks about the fact that God has raised us up from the dead and given us life. 
So when we talk about God being the standard of love, we recognize, of course, that we're not talking only about his nature and his essence, but we're also talking about his action. God has not simply created man, said that he loves us, and then not acted upon that love. God has been and continues to be active in showing his love for his creation in how he provides and in how he protects and in how he sustains both our physical needs, our emotional needs, our spiritual needs, everything that we have and everything that, we've, uh, everything that we need that has been given to us is all a result of the love that God has for his creation. But here's where the application comes in. Realize that the Bible calls upon us to imitate the love that our God has. The Bible says in Matthew 5 and verse 48, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And as we'll see in just a few moments, that statement is found in the context of loving your enemy. The Bible will tell us in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19 that we are to be holy because God is holy. Who's the standard of perfection? That's God. And the Bible says if you're going to be his children, then you have to strive to meet it. Who's the standard of holiness? That's God. And the Bible says if you're going to strive to be his children, you've got to strive to meet that standard. Imitate God. How about Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 1? Be imitators of God as dear children, he says. It pairs well with Ephesians 1 verse 5. Because in Ephesians 1 verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, We have been adopted into the family of God by Jesus Christ. Now in Ephesians 5 1, he says, Bear the family resemblance. We talk all the time about how people look like their parents. You're the spitting image of your dad, someone might say. You look like him and you walk like him and you talk like him. And as it pertains to our Heavenly Father, the Bible calls us to do the same. To imitate, to look like our Heavenly Father, to be created, recreated, if you will, in his image. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But that includes love too. We're to love our brethren. We're to love one another, 1 John chapter 4. And John will go on and say, this is how we know that we are of God. This is how we know that we abide in the truth because of our love for one another, meaning we follow, we imitate the example of our Father. So we're talking about ethics. We're talking about love being the great Christian ethic, the foundation, if you will, the standard. And how God is our standard to follow, to imitate for loving, and how his love is seen not just in what he says, but it's mostly seen in what he does. So how do we put those things together as it pertains to making ethical decisions? Let's talk about that for the remainder of our time together this morning. We should realize that love has to be the guiding force in our lives for everything. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 14, the Apostle Paul says, Let all of your things be done in love. Or New King James Version, let all that you do be done in love. But that isn't the first time that he says that kind of a thing. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And now that chapter talks to us about what love is and what love isn't. It deals with it from the positive and from the negative. But do you remember how the chapter starts? In the first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal, meaning without love what I say means nothing. Without love what I say means nothing. 
In verse number 2 he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Without love, 1 Corinthians 13, 2, what I have is nothing. Look at verse 3. And though I bestow or give my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Verse 1, without love what I say means nothing. Verse 2, without love what I have means nothing. Verse 3, without love what I give means nothing. Now let me ask you a question. Is it possible for a person to say the right things, to have all of the right abilities, and to give as much as anyone ever could perhaps give, but do all of those things from, an, from, an, from a dishonest and un- unloving heart and with an ulterior motive? It is perfectly possible. Absolutely it's possible. In fact, I would argue it's not just possible. It happens on a regular basis And what does Paul say about all of that? He says that all of those great actions, those great loving actions are essentially for nothing and they're negated if they're not done from a heart of love. Now let's go to our passage in Matthew chapter 22. I want us to look closer at what's going on in Matthew chapter 22 and I want us to think a little bit more carefully about these three areas that Jesus identifies. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse number 37, you'll love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now I want you to notice the language that Jesus uses. Jesus describes the first and the greatest commandment in verse number 37. Excuse me, verse number 38. He describes the second being like it, meaning it's on equal footing, and verse number 39. And in verse number 40, he says, on these two hang all the law and the prophets, meaning the entire essence of the Old Testament law, or really the Old Testament, is summarized in these two commandments. So what Jesus is telling us in these passages is that love is, if you will, the great summary And that if someone says, I want you to summarize the entirety of God's word in one neat sentence or in one simple way, a person could simply say, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor or your fellow man as yourself. And if you make that statement, then you have essentially summarized God's will for our lives. Now, why is it the case? Have you ever thought of this? Why is it the case that this is the great summary? That love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself summarizes the whole whole thing. It's because of what it implies. Remember how we defined love a few moments ago? Love is not only what we say, it's not only what we think, but it's also what? It's what we do. So as the Bible teaches us about love, what it tells us is that love implies dedication. And that love implies sacrifice. And that love implies obedience. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. That's discipleship. That's self-denial. That's self-renunciation. That's following Christ on a daily basis. That's sacrifice and dedication. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 15, If you love me, then what? Can you finish it? Keep my commandments. That's obedience. How does the Lord know that we love him? Because we obey him. 
How is our love seen toward our God? Because of dedication and obedience and sacrifice. How is our love seen toward our fellow man? Dedication and and sacrifice. How is our love seen toward our brethren, toward those in our homes? The answer is the same across the board. The reason why love is the great summary is because of everything that it implies and everything that it means. When we love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength, that means we're going to obey what he says. That means, just to select a few passages from the New Testament, that means that we're going to tell the truth, Ephesians 4.15. That we're going to be people of integrity and people who walk in the light, Ephesians chapter 5. That means we're going to pay our taxes, Matthew 22 and verse 21. That means we're going to pray for our leaders, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. That we're going to obey the law, Romans chapter 13 and verse number 1. That we're going to pursue holiness in every way and in everything that it means and implies and reject wickedness or ungodliness in every way and in everything that it means and implies, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength means love him with your entire being. And if we love the Lord with everything that we have and with everything that we are, then it means that we'll be dedicated and that we'll be sacrificial and that we'll be obedient and that we'll not argue with him and quibble with him whenever he tells us, this is what I want you to do. But now look at the second. Jesus says, love the Lord your God, but he also says, love your neighbor as yourself. And the Apostle Paul will build upon this in the book of Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse number 8. He says, Owe no man anything except to love one another, for he who loves the other has fulfilled the law. For all the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you will not covet. And if there's any other commandment, they're all summed up in this saying, namely, you will love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Notice Paul uses this language. He says, it's all summed up in you'll love your neighbor as yourself. So who's your neighbor? How about love for our fellow man in general? How about the golden rule, Matthew 7 and verse 12? Whatever you would have men do unto you, do unto others as you would have men do unto you. How about Galatians 6 verse 10? As you therefore have opportunity to do good, do good unto all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. Why do we treat others as we would be treated? Or why do we seek to do good to all men? The Bible says it's because we love them, or at least we should. Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46, Jesus talks about the judgment day scene. And he talks about those who either fed the hungry and clothed the naked and took care of the needy versus those who didn't. Why is it that we feed the hungry and clothe the naked and take care of the needy? It's because of love. James 1 verse 27, pure and undefiled religion is this, to keep oneself unspotted from the world and to visit the fatherless and the widows. Why do we visit the fatherless and the widows? The Bible says it's because we love our neighbor. All of these actions are based in, our, in love. But also our brethren. Our brethren are included in this number. Love your neighbor as yourself. It means not just loving our fellow man, but it means loving our brethren. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1. If a brother is caught up in sin, then uh, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. Why do we seek to restore a fallen brother? Because of love. 
By love, serve one another. Galatians 5 and verse 13. Why do we serve one another? Because of love. Love one another with brotherly love. 1 Peter 4 and verse number 8. But it also includes our enemies. I mentioned Matthew 5 and verse 48 a few moments ago. Be therefore perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And the fact that that is at the tail end of a context dealing with love for enemies. It goes back to Matthew 5 and verse 38. Jesus talks about how we're not to retaliate against our enemies and how we are not to do an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and so on, but rather we're to turn the other cheek. He talks about how we're to do good to our enemies and pray for those who spitefully use us. And the point basically that he's making is this. Anybody can love those who love them. Anybody can do that. Even a worldly person can do that. If you're nice to them and you treat them kindly, it's easy for them to be nice to you and to treat you kindly. But not just anybody can love the person who is their mortal enemy. But Jesus says that's what we must do. So when Jesus says, love your, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, he is talking about our responsibility, our duty toward all people, toward our fellow man in general, toward one another as brethren, and even toward our enemies. Be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Love for God. When we love the Lord with everything that we have, then that means we're going to be dedicated and sacrificial and obedient. Love for your neighbor. That means everybody. All of our actions done in love. But then there's love for self. You know, Paul said in Ephesians 5 verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and he cherishes it. And in Proverbs 4 and verse 23, the Proverbs writer says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now, I want to suggest to you that each and every one of us has a personal and individual responsibility to see as best we can to our own health, spiritually, physically, emotionally, and so on and so forth. I want to suggest to you that because God has created us in his image and sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, that that means each individual person has value and has meaning and so on. And you remember the Bible says that one soul is worth more than the whole world. And again, Ephesians 5.29, the apostle Paul says, no one is abusive to himself. And then, of course, in context, he's talking about how, well, you're to love your wife. You don't abuse yourself. Don't, don't abuse your spouse. That's the idea. But you see, I have a responsibility to see to my own salvation. Philippians 2 and verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, Paul says. I have a responsibility to see to my own spiritual growth. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 13. I have a responsibility to make sure that I am engaging in Bible study and in prayer and that I'm taking care of the body that God has given me and that I am striving to be the person that God wants me to be. That responsibility doesn't fall on the shoulders of anybody else. It falls on, it falls on my shoulders. So if I truly love myself, right, love for self, how do we define love? Not just in thought, word, but also in action and how it seeks the best interest of the object. If we're talking about love for self, then that means self is the object, which means I always should have the best interest at heart and in mind. So love for God, love for man, love for self. Jesus will say in Matthew chapter 22, on these hang all the law and the prophets. It's all summarized in this. 
So if someone says, how do I know what's right or how do I know what's wrong or how do I know what God wants me to do? The answer, the very foundation of it is that I I know, I know that what God tells me first and foremost is that my responsibility is to love him, which means I'm going to serve him and obey him. That my responsibility is to love my fellow man, which means I'm going to look out for their best interest. And that I even have a responsibility to look out for myself. That I'm not going to intentionally allow myself to suffer or be abused or whatever. You know, in John chapter 15 and verse number 13, Jesus said, Greater love has no man than to lay down his life for a friend. And in John chapter 13 and verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you that you should love one another as I have loved you. How is it that Jesus loved and how is that command new? Jesus loved sacrificially to the point that he left heaven and gave his life for the salvation of mankind. Love is the great Christian ethic. There is no more nobler standard than that standard of love which has been established through the action and the example of Jesus Christ. And it's one of the many things that sets Christianity apart from all of the other religions and all of the other philosophies and ways of life that exist in this world. Now there's a whole lot more that could be and should be said about ethics and morality and truth and so on. But this is the foundation. This is where it all begins. And so as I work and navigate my way through this life and deal with whatever it is that the world throws before us, this is is where my mind needs to go first in determining what's right and what's wrong. Is this going to allow me to love God more? Is this going to help me to fulfill my obligation to love my fellow man and even myself? Or maybe put it... Put it, the, uh, put it the other way around. Because I love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, does that mean that this would be a right or a wrong thing to do? Because I love my neighbor as myself, is this the right or wrong thing to do? Because I love self, is this the right or wrong thing to do? Love is the foundation for living and for making our choices and our decisions and for guiding how we're going to live out our days on this earth. So now the question to ask is, are you loving as you should? Do you love the Lord as you should? A person who loves the Lord as they should is going to first and foremost make sure that they are in fellowship with him and right in his sight. That means submitting to his will, obeying the gospel, being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, John 8, 24? Are you willing to repent of sins, confess faith, and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins? Are you a Christian? You've already done those things, but perhaps you're not living as you should. Is it because because you don't love the Lord as you should? We're going to offer the Lord's invitation now, and it might be that there's someone here who has a, a need to respond And if you have need, of course, we stand ready and willing to be able to help you in whatever way that we can. And so we invite you to come as we stand and sing together.